Hey guys, I'm here with Carson Hetty, uh, Julie Hansen, Stephen Benson, and Marilou Totter. I'm gonna put them on in a second. I'll put them, those four people, on the broadcast. They will have an interesting discussion about uh, sales challenges, so the biggest challenges that sales reps and you know in businesses have. So I will let these four people, uh, amazing people that I've interviewed before introduce themselves a little bit. I think it's gonna be more efficient that way and a little bit more accurate as well, based on their more recent accomplishments. Then I think we're gonna have a really interesting discussion for about 45 minutes. Cool, let's get started. All right. Ladies first. Well, <laughs> what a gentleman, thank you. My name is Julie Hansen. I'm the uh, president of Performance Sales and Training and uh, the author of Sales Presentations for Dummies and Act Like a Sales Pro. And I focus on um, presentation, communication skills, demo skills, uh, all those customer facing or virtual facing events, and how to make those better. I'm Mary Lou Tyler. I've been working in sales process top of funnel for the last 32 years. I am an author of two books. One is Predictable Revenue, written in 2011, and the other is Predictable Prospecting, written in 2016. It's all about sales process for me and all about top of funnel. Fantastic. Well, I'm, uh, I'm Steve Benson and I'm CEO of Badger Maps, which is a, it's an application for field salespeople to help them build routes, map out their days and generally be more productive. And I am Carson Hetty. I round out the uh, foursome here and uh, I have written three sales books and uh, I am a territory manager for Microsoft. So I guess the first question is to go around, Julie, start with you about what challenges that you think are top of mind for most of your, your audience, and then we'll take it around there, and then people can pop in for questions, I guess. Great. So because I focus in the presentation demo skills arena, it's, it's really after the prospecting phase, which I know has a huge set of challenges that I'm sure we're going to talk about. Uh, but in, in my area, it really is, how do you tailor your message to resonate with the decision maker or the multiple decision makers in the room? And how do you, uh, you know, how do you do that at scale? Uh, if you're doing a lot of demos, if you're doing a lot of presentations, um, which is, uh, you know, it's just a real challenge today because everybody is so stretched for time and to really put the time in to customize your messaging, your demo to every particular customer um, can be pretty daunting. I don't know if, if you all run into that challenge with, with uh, the salespeople you work with. Tailoring messaging, yes, yeah. no, no question about it. I, I think that that is, no matter what stage of the game you're in, I mean, even if it is prospecting, but, um, you know, whether it's prioritizing and planning or, um, you know, as you're, as you're fashioning your message for outreach um, or even just maintaining communication uh, with clients, with people internally, I think it's all about, uh, you know, really how you fashion that messaging. I, I think one of the biggest uh, challenges that I've seen, uh, not only is my, in my time as a salesperson, but also in training and coaching salespeople um, has been about that communication, you know, finding the right uh, way to communicate, uh, the right way to uh, maintain communication and stay consistent in that, uh, but also how to be unique and be the person that is getting the responses. So um, I'd be very interested, Julie, in, in hearing how you've, uh, how you've combated that. 
Sure. I, you know, and like you said, tailoring and in, in prospecting is so important and tailoring when you get in front of a customer is, is equally important. Uh, and it, I think we are salespeople are often so excited. They get the opportunity to get in front of a customer. They just, they tend to do what they've done in the past and uh, it, it doesn't always, it doesn't always work with different customers. So for to really tailor that message, you have to know a lot about your customer. You have to know enough to really align your pro, your product, your solution with their needs and really hit those buttons. And that requires discovery. And that is really where a good presentation, a good demo starts is how is your discovery process? Are you getting the information you need? Which is also another challenge that salespeople face because they don't, you know, they don't have time to get to do discovery or clients are unwilling, uh, what have you. But it's it's finding the information you need and then weaving that into your presentation, finding areas where you can really make that presentation feel like it's developed just for that particular customer. And that can be very intimidating. But if you have a structure that allows you to kind of plug and play where you customize different pieces, it can be a lot easier. And the same thing is at top of funnel when we're really working on trying to figure out who we should start conversation with. We're looking at that point in the funnel. We're not necessarily as knowledgeable as the pain points, challenges, what kind of outcomes that they're looking for, what initiatives are even available at the company that we can pursue. So it's in the form of research, but we still have those same issues of, you know, who do we talk to? What do we say? At what point in the pipeline? And are we talking to the right people? Do we need to talk to multiple people? And each of them requires a different, unique message in order for us to be able to push that person into the pipeline towards an opportunity. So we have very similar, very similar yeah, issues. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think Julie hit on something earlier. Um, I loved what she said about how a salesperson can sometimes get someone on the phone and is ineffective um, in what they have to say. I think they're so excited that they get somebody that they almost, um, you know, just spout out a lot of benefits of their product without really doing mm -hmm. a needs analysis or really investing the time to craft something that is unique to that client by doing the homework. By like Mary Lou just said. I call that comfortable ways of failing and comfortable ways of mediocrity. I think a lot of times we go in and we, we're so used to doing things a certain way that I think sometimes the more overarching challenge of a salesperson is being able to change. Um, you know, I think as sales leaders, a lot of times that's what we're doing. We're not only to, to clients, we're to, to our reps and, and, uh, you know, other folks that we're working with, we're selling change and, um, trying to get them out of that comfortable way of failing and, and uh, trying to get them to do something that may feel a little bit up, you know, up front. It may feel a little bit awkward, uh, but it's going to yield better results as we craft that perfect process as a salesperson. Steve, what are your thoughts? Yeah, the, the thing that really jumps out at me uh, as being the challenge here that, that, that people need to identify is the understanding your customer and really getting whether whether you're you know top of the funnel where where Mary Lou's kind of got her areas of expertise or, or or more you know what Julie was talking about with the messaging, if you if you really understand your customer's business and what the pain points you're trying to solve with your solution and how you can kind of map your solution to what those pain points are and in their individual business, 
I, I think that's really one of the most challenging things sales reps face today, um, in particular in industries where they're selling into a whole bunch of different types of customers. Right. Not only that, there's also the language of the buyer of the persona is it changes as well. It could be the same product, but if it's sold to IT and sales is also involved and marketing is also involved in the same product usage, there are different use cases, there's different languages, the pain points are different. So they have to be able to change gears really fast depending on who they talk to and who they're getting in touch with. Still the same product, but the way it's sold, the scenario in which it's sold is very different. So they have to think on their feet and, you know, what we stress at top of funnel is really this whole notion of rehearsing, 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 practicing, 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 because it is truly that 30 second pitch, so to speak, where you're trying to get their attention. I mean, we're, we're trying to get their attention and try to get the sense of urgency bubbling up so that they'll want to continue to get towards Julie and actually do a presentation. Right, right. So, well, yeah. Yeah. So, well, I'm yeah. so glad you brought up rehearsing because I think that's awesome because you got to rehearse at every stage yeah. you know i mean yes. the the idea that and this goes back to carson's idea about you know we we stay in our comfort zone the idea that you're just going to naturally be able to pick up the phone and have this compelling conversation or step into a room and give a dynamic presentation without practice is just yeah. nonsense uh there's very few people that can do that and if you're one God bless you, but uh, <laughs> odds are you're not. Right? And I think that's another one of the pieces today is, you know, I've worked in IT, I've been in telecommunications, advertising, and getting out of those silos where we're not just selling to one facet of the business anymore. You're not just selling to, if you're in IT, you're not necessarily just selling to IT. You've got to make sure your message is different and unique for the CEO or the CFO or the CTO or the CIO. And in sales and marketing, you know, they're obviously all looking for different things, you've got to be able to understand, you know, those different talk tracks, you know, the, the folks that are going to care about the strategic vision, the bottom line, the, the ones that are going to care about the price, the ones that are going to care about the technology around it. And not only that, but how do you even get to those people to begin with? And it takes a different message to open the door get in the door and stay in the door. And I think those are, you know, some of the bigger uh, some of the bigger challenges now. I think we're becoming a lot more multifaceted in today's age more than ever before as salespeople because we're truly selling to all of those different uh, levels of the business. I agree. And I think it can be very overwhelming to salespeople to, you know, all those variables. You got different people, you got different messaging, you got different different uh, perceptions of value you know, where do you start? It's, it's hard to really sift through all that and, and, and use your time wisely. You know, you can, you can waste a lot of time doing too much research on one particular area. Um, so there's got to be more productive ways to approach that. So you're not spinning your wheels. You know, you know, given the, the, the topic of the day is what the challenging things are and how we can overcome them, I guess. And, and, I, one theme I keep thinking about and keep circling back to and keep hearing hearing people say is time. You know, time, the, the time of the salesperson is stretched thin. The same number of salespeople are being asked to do more things. The time of the customer is stretched thin. It's really hard to, harder to get in, in front of customers with the right messages and, and at the right time. And uh, I think that's a, that's a theme in sales today is doing more with less and getting more done in less time. And, um, 
Yeah, I think that's one of the, the larger issues and trends going on in sales today that we're trying to overcome. Yeah, that and, you know, Absolutely. back in 2011, we talked about separating out those sales roles because of the fact that you guys just mentioned, as you progress through the through the actual pipeline, your different skill sets are needed. It's not just the right message, but you also need to have different skills. Now, prospecting is all about habit. It's all about that hard worker profile is consistency and habit, consistency, habit, rehearsing. And then once you start getting in further, you've got to sort of take that hat off and then you've got to become a relationship expert to be able to take all these different people, get them in a room and say something that's going to get all of them excited for whatever reason, for their own personal financial strategic reason, as Carson was saying. It's just, you know, it's crazy that, you know, we have to have, we're like chameleons. We're up top of funnel. We're a different person than we are mid and different mm -hmm. person at the bottom, which I have, I am not an expert in, but it's all about negotiation and win-win. And that's a whole different set of skills. Right, right. Well, I, I have an acting background. I use a lot of acting and improvisation in my in my work and training. And, you know, it's really, it's, it's a different role. Like you said, Mary Lou, like everything is, it's a different role. And it doesn't mean that you necessarily turn into an entirely different person, but you, you have different, different parts of yourself to be yeah. most effective in that role. Exactly. And you have to, be, like you said, you have to quickly know how to change roles and uh, do what's required in that role. Um, people that are often good at prospecting um, may not be the best presenters giving dynamic presentations, but they've, they've got that skill set. It's just something they have to develop. Oftentimes I see salespeople that are, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not really that, I'm not a great presenter, but you see them talking with their friends and communicating. It's like, well, that's the you we want to see. Like, how can we access that you in the business world? That's exactly right. I mean, I have all people, the introvert of the century, yet with the books that are being released, you have to be a business person who also speaks. So I've had to really learn to get out of wanting to stay in my little cave and be a programmer to somebody who's out client facing. Anybody has the skill set. It's just that comfort. It's it's a little daunting at times. Right, right. And I would rather do that than call cold call people and be prospecting. <laughs> you know, that terrifies me. And I do it. But, you know, you're right. It's like if, if there's you're not you're not going to be good at all those roles. It's not, yeah. you know, some you're going to be better at just nat a little naturally. But the ones that you don't, you have to practice. So I practice that. I work with a coach on, you know, that particular skill because that is not where I live. You know, that is not my comfort zone. But it's a necessary part of my business. Yeah. You know, it's funny. So I, I consult with a lot of customers. You know, not we, our, our company, Badger, we don't, we're not a consulting firm. We don't do consulting for money. But we, uh, I end up just kind of giving giving a lot of like I have a lot of meetings with sales executives and and VPs of sales just because they're using using our product for their team and one of the main points of Mary Lou's book is actually what I commonly find myself advising them to do which is what you're talking about the the splitting out Separation of the different of roles, roles on a team yeah, yeah. Ha having a different person doing the lead gen a different person doing the actual um, setting up the meetings a different person met uh, Closing deals and a different person managing existing customers. I in the last, uh, I bet I've given three people 
that advice in the last month, meeting with customers. And so, I think, you know, as soon as you can, too, so. yeah, but not everybody can do that. I mean, 48% right. of my audience are solo entrepreneurs. They're like chief cook and bottle washer. <laughs> They're everything. Yeah. So for them, you know, what we have to do really is think of the different workflows, the different spinning plates, you know, on mm -hmm. Tuesdays and Fridays, they're prospecting for a couple hours in a block of time. So it right. needs to be done, but yes, as soon as you can and, and make it a good business decision, splitting the roles allows you to grow and scale and just transform your business because you're putting people in seats that have the skill set to excel and they love it and they're not stressed as much because they're really good at what they do. Yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, a lot of us have probably had roles where, you know, we've been a solo seller and we've also had some where we've been a team seller and definitely mm -hmm. compare and contrast. You know, as a t even as a team seller, I have found myself really driving toward the things that I'm good at. We all do that. And where we have other members of the team, we're able to leverage uh, their abilities and what their skill sets are very effectively. And I think that's uh, one trait of, especially nowadays, where there are so many different ways to prospect and there's so many different ways to engage clients really knowing what your resources are. It goes back to Steve's point of time. That's really how you want to prioritize your time is, you know, spend a lot of time. If you're really good at prospecting, spend a lot of time drumming up that business. But as you guide it through that pipeline and through that process, really that effective way of looking at, okay, where am I, where am I struggling at this stage of the deal? Or where am I losing my client up front? Or where and why are they going dark? What are some of those common themes? And as you get really good at some of these other pieces, it, it can give you the opportunity to really analyze your process and see where you're missing out and where I can hone my focus. Now, as a solo seller, obviously, you've got to do a lot of those types of things yourself. But I think the, the, the strength is it's all in, it, it is all in numbers, but it's all about people and process and really figuring out being, you know, Julie made a great point earlier about that, um, you know, some sellers and, and I would be guilty of this too. I'm very introverted in my, in my natural life, but as a seller, I think we put on a different hat and a different persona. We transform ourselves into the person that's needed to, uh, at least kickstart that initial relationship. Um, so I think it's that constant challenge of, you know, what's the right level and content of communication? And we, we figure that out over time. Um, it's, it's funny. I, when I was in my 20s, I thought I knew uh, a lot about sales. And as I've gotten older, I, uh, I definitely realized that I knew nothing back then. I've, uh, I formulated a lot of opinions. And I know before, uh, you know, we obviously chatted briefly, um, you know, about the, some of the topics for this session. I think one of the biggest challenges, even just to salespeople, is that that changing environment that we continue to be a part of, you know, weathering storms, you know, being a part of maybe it's mergers and acquisitions or just changes in our career. All of those things, I think, play a really huge part in who we are as sellers. Mm, absolutely. I think just being able to adapt quickly to new information, new situation, new players is is so important. And you can't do that if you think you've got it. You know, if you've, you've got it all, you know, in, tied up in a nice, neat bow um, and somebody's trying to disrupt your way of doing things, if you're <laughs> resistant to that, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a tough battle. And, and I'm sure, uh, you know, we've all had either salespeople or people in workshops that are resistant to change because they found a way that works for them. But there are so many factors 
influencing us every day that are changing, like you mentioned, whether it's mergers, acquisitions, or uh, new research that we get, new technology, even just how we're changing as humans. Our attention spans are lower than they were 10 years ago. And if you're not adapting to that, pretty soon you're going to be, you know, you may be doing okay now, but pretty soon your your numbers are going to fall off. Yeah, as a salesperson, it's all... Yeah, I, I agree. It's all of, as a salesperson, I think it's all about how are we adding value and to whom. You know, we've got to add value to our organization. We've got to add value to our client. We've got to add value to the other people that we work with as part of a team. And, uh, you know, as these things change and as different tools change and uh, ability to research and the types of things that we have to tap into, the, the means by which we can prospect – if you don't adapt quickly, you will be left behind. And I'm sure we've all seen it where people will come out of the gates. They have, you know, a month or two where they do really well and they're the flavor of the month. Uh, but that can quickly go away. I know there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, have six strong months and they're like, well, I'm ready to be promoted. And there's a lot more to it when from a leadership standpoint, being able to weather those storms. Uh, it's a lot like relationships. You know, you can uh, date somebody for a week or two or a month or two. Uh, you have no idea what marriage is going to be like. Um, it's taken me several years to, to understand how to even wade through that dynamic. And I, I still get it wrong sometimes. <laughs> That's a great analogy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Prospecting is all about dating. That's what I tell my, my teams and things. It's, it's being a perpetual dater. And then as soon as they want to get engaged, we hand them off to the account executive <laughs> who, who becomes, who gets married. And then from there, the servicer is the one that keeps them in the family fold. So, yeah, it's a great analogy because it really is that. I mean, prospecting, we're talking to so many people and unturning so many rocks and trying to find out, get our way to get our foot or a toe or a fingernail in the door, you know. So we have to be very creative in order to get that conversation started. And then as we go into it deeper, that's the value prop. We have to really understand, as you were mentioning earlier, the benefits, the results, the use cases, and have them in our DNA, just ingrained in our head, so that whatever gets thrown at us, we're able to come back, well, you know, so-and-so XYZ company experienced the same problem a couple of years ago, and this is how we solved it for them. So they have to be this walking encyclopedia of, of essentially how their problems are solved with that product. Yeah, you know, that's that goes to that adaptability that we're talking about. And and I think it's interesting. It's it's really you know, you're improvising so much in sales because things are so quickly changing. And, you know, you think you have a meeting with one person, you show up and there's 10 and you think you have an hour to present something. You really have 10 minutes. And so you're constantly, you know, on your, on your toes. And uh, I hear salespeople often tell me, you know, well, I don't like to rehearse. I don't like to practice because I have to wing it so often. And I like to, you know, be able to, I don't want to get stuck in a pattern. And it's, Actually, to be able to improvise well, you really need to know your stuff. You need to be you need to be really confident, like Mary Lee was saying, in your use cases, in your stories, in your in your presentation, in your prospecting message, so that then you're you're comfortable veering off and going in different directions without being totally flabbergasted. You know, even the, imp the best improvisers, there's even rules that they follow. They don't just go up on stage and you know they're just you know, go with whatever comes up. There's some rules that keep that conversation going and, and keep things moving forward. 
So one of the other challenges that I wanted to bring up to the panel, because we we uncovered a lot top of funnel, this whole concept of questioning. You know, everyone says, ask meaningful questions or ask great questions. It's like, where is this library of great questions? Or how, how do you work with your folks to say, okay, these are the types of questions. I mean, back in the olden days, we learned spin selling, which had question types. But I'm curious now what you guys, have, the challenge is there, because I think that's an area still where we're falling short in some of our skills. Well, one area that, that I always try to recommend that reps uh, bring up, a question that I, I try to get reps to kind of take a line with their customers on is, is to ask them what, what would really be a successful outcome of this meeting that we're about to have? What do, so kind of the setup, setting up a meeting with questions and figuring out what is really important to this person? Why are they even talking to me? What is, why are we here? What, because if you can kind of, if you can tease that out of them early on in a conversation, then you can really give them what they want and, and much better map your conversation to what they're, what they, what they want to get out of it. And so mm -hmm. that's, that's a, conver that, that's a, that's a magical question, I think. And you can even ask it before, before the meeting even begins. You can, you can send them an email the day before and ask, hey, what would you like to get out of this? What, what, would you, what would you like me to really focus on? What's most important to you of these four things? And try to tease out of them what, what's really important to them. Yeah, I, like, I love that, Steve. I like to lead mm -hmm. off a meeting in that fashion is what, what would make this a successful meeting? You know, what are we really looking to achieve? I think the meat of the middle of the meeting is really what are the ramifications if we don't make this change? And that's, that's to whomever we're proposing that to. You know, you brought up spin selling. I think now a lot of people look at the challenger selling method and really asking those challenging type questions that get that are thought provoking and get to your get your audience to start thinking about the ramifications of not making the change. Because really, as salespeople, we have to realize we're not selling anything. We're selling the concept of changing and making the uh, the client or the end user in in more or less fear the lack of change over the change itself. So I believe that the, the meat of your conversation is really uh, asking them what would be the ramifications of not making the change, not necessarily outright, but by proxy, that's really what you're driving toward understanding. And then finally, at the end, you're really looking at getting consensus on the next steps. Not even necessarily asking what do you feel are the next steps, but I'd like to gain consensus on these next steps. This is what I see. How do you feel and what did I miss? And then making sure that you have that clear commitment because I think one area where we as salespeople can can miss the boat is art of the follow-up. And I love your question, Mary Lou, and I'd love to hear everybody else's answer to that first. And maybe the next one we go through is that art of the follow-up. How do you find that? I think a lot of folks will um, you know, give up after they, they've tried a time or two and don't catch the client on a good day. Um, and I think that one of the key pieces to wrapping up your meeting and going into a new one is that we've recapped where we've been, where we are, and where we want to go. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. I mean, even down to the call planning forms that we use at Top of Funnel, before we issue our calling list, whatever it is in our block time that we're doing our prospecting, we have to have our primary call objective, our secondary call objective, and what the next step is, what we think the major objections are, 
all outlined before we even get on the phone or leave that voicemail or whatever it is that we're trying to do, because it's so important for us to be able to drive that conversation and gently start moving people down that pipeline. And I very seldom see call planning forms being done with, with, with sales reps. It's the wing it, like somebody was saying before, that they just get on the phone and hope for the best. And, you know, we have maybe three to five meaningful conversations a day if we're just hitting the phones hard or hitting the email hard. So putting together a call planning form for that would not be a difficult thing to do. Exactly. And I think utilizing that, I remember being a sales rep. I know it was a long time ago, but um, even then, as well as I did in certain capacities, having things on my computer at the time that would remind me of different things that I wanted to say during the conversation is what keeps your process not only succinct, but successful. Because if you, if you forget these little components, that's what is going to add up to a big deal in your process. And I, I completely agree. You have to have some form of process, no matter what you're selling or how you're selling. Um, it, it's so important to make sure that you're keeping yourself on task to remember those different components. And, and like Steve was pointing out, some of the questions that you want to ask, it is. it may sound very basic to say, what do you want to get out of this meeting? But mm -hmm. to get the priorities that the person that you're meeting with out on the table to jot them down however you want to record them and make sure you're going through each of these things. If a call flow sheet of some sort can keep you on task to do that and keep you on task to make sure that you have uncovered uh, truly the needs that are going to help match your solution to their gaps in process, that's how you're going to win. And I think we can take care of our some of our greatest challenges as salespeople just by having a process and focusing on people. Yeah, yeah. I, I love I love that the the call sheet, and I use a discovery question sheet every time I I talk to a new client. And the, the couple of times that I haven't, because I'm like, oh, I know, I know what I need to know, and I go through it, and invariably I get off and I go, hey, I didn't ask him this, you know, it's just like this yeah. gap. So I think it's important to identify what do you need to know to deliver on your next step. If your next step is a presentation or a demo. You need to find out, you know, all those things that, you know, that, that apply to your solution that they might be interested in. And I think questioning is also, it's a great opportunity to test out some ideas, to mm -hmm. test whether they ha already have an idea of how they might solve this problem. If, uh, if, you know, if you've identified some gaps, test if they might be interested in, in this also, like something that aligns with your solution. So uh, rather than just making those assumptions, yeah, definitely. To, to Carson's point too about um, you know getting the person to say it out loud, I think there's something really powerful. Even though we may have, we may know like this this person is uh, their biggest problem is you know it's a sales VP of sales. Their biggest challenge is making revenue, right? Making the numbers somewhere. So we think we don't have to ask that. Well, there's a lot of power in just having that person say out loud. Um, yeah, you know, what's your biggest challenge today? You know, well, I, I need to make my numbers. You know, then we start having a conversation where that's, that's top of mind because they've got a million other priorities that are immediate in front of their face, but it just brings it to life and it gets them to kind of own that problem. And it's a great place to start. 
I'd be interested in getting your guys's take on that. So using the dating analogy, so we, you know, we have a good first date, um, you know, you have a potential prospect, you've got a good conversation, you've asked the right questions, you've uncovered some of these, some of the information that you need. Um, and, and you figured out that, hey, there's, there is a fit here, you guys agree upon that follow up conversation. What's the right methodology, uh, you know, to, to not only conduct that follow up, but also I, I find that so often, you know, somebody will, will follow up once or twice, or maybe they'll catch the client on a bad day and not get the desired response. And then they just let it go. And this is conceivably, it's a really good deal. We've all probably had situations where we got a client on a good day after trying to get them two or three times before they said maybe they weren't interested, but then we caught them on the right time frame and it, it was a match. So I'd be curious as to what your methodology and philosophy is on the art of the follow-up well I guess there's there's two things that jump out to me that the well, on follow-ups that I think are really important first I think you want to you want to establish with the with the prospect who how, what is the best way to, to follow up with you like when where how is it with emails with a phone call when should this come in you you want to at some point have that conversation if you haven't just figured it out already because you've already figured out you know oh th this person always responds to emails very quickly but i i, I remember one uh one customer I had, I, I could call her at Friday at five o'clock and she was always, that was the best time. You could never reach her. But Friday at five o'clock, she was always at a desk, always picked up the phone. So knowing, knowing your customer, and if you don't know, you can, you can just ask. And that's, that's one key thing with the follow-up is establishing that. And the, the second key to following up is to have listened in these interactions, these early interactions, whether it's your, your, your gather, gathering your information during your, during your sales call so that you know what's important to this person and then following up with value about what's important to them. So if they've, if they've explained to you, well, this is what's really important to me and you've, you've uncovered that, then reaching out to them with something that's really gonna be of value to them you know, if you just if your follow up is just, hey, wanted to touch base, hey, wanted to say hi, hey, wanted to, that's that's not uh, showing up. value. <laughs> I wanted to follow up exactly. Yeah. It, what's way better is to follow up with like like a follow up for me is I I want to follow up with a customer and say something like, hey, I ran this I ran this analysis that that we talked about. You gave me those numbers during the call, and mm -hmm. I, I ran an analysis about how much how many miles fewer your your, your sales team could drive as, as a result of using routing software. I, I want to stick in, ex I've, got, I've got a report for you basically that I can tell you all about what's important to you. And, and that's, that's how I have my sales team follow up. And that, that gets a much higher response rate than, than just, hey, how's it going? Yeah, now what I, since I'm a process person, I have two different processes I use. One is for transactional sales, meaning that there are fewer decision makers or stakeholders and then the other one is for more complex sales. Uh, this was in the Predictable Revenue book, page 99, for those of you who have that book. It's called the 315 process. And it essentially goes in 15-minute, are we a fit call, top three disqualifiers. Because remember, we're top of funnel, lots of records. We're trying to get people out of the active pipeline. So you ask those top three questions, are we a fit? We call it an AWAF call. The next step we suggest to that prospect is bring in your point people for our next call. We'll do an in-depth discovery and get an understanding of all the business issues that you would like to get solved this year, this quarter, this month, whatever. Once we do that, that's called a scoping call. 
hour long. Once we do that call, then it's time to start bringing the family together. So we get all the folks from their side pulled in. We get the relevant folks from our side pulled in. And we have a big powwow, should we work together? And that's probably where we would start with Julie's getting that presentation material ready, but it's more of a hands-on session of, okay, let's get this thing figured out. Should we go to that next step? Yeah, I think the steps are gonna vary based on the solution and the, and the, the way business is done in a particular industry. But mm -hmm. but obviously it's, uh, you know, to Steve's point, I mean, following up with, with value and, you know, to Mary Lou's point, to the next step. So what right. I always suggest is that's clearly next defined about next steps, right? Yeah. And you're right. It depends on, you know, we do tiers of accounts. We have our dream accounts, our whales. We have our sharks that are next level out. We have the minnows that are okay, but we don't want to spend a lot of our time on them. So we want to really look at those accounts, figure out the, the way they like to buy, but also make some suggestions of how we like to help them buy. And that's basically from a sales process point of view, that's how we start thinking of this thing because we're trying to chunk it down into those actionable steps that we can start tracking the metrics for because we want to be able to scale. We want to be able to take this thing and make it repeatable. That, that's all sales process stuff. So that's what I focus on top of funnel for sure. Yeah, no, those are fantastic. I think Julie hit on hit the nail on the head with consensus being critical, you know, really making sure that uh, there's consensus on what a successful engagement is going to look like. And that's overarching. I mean, I, I think that each different step of the process, there needs to be consensus on what success will mean from that engagement's vantage point. Uh, also, consensus on timelines. Um, you know, what, you know, when do we foresee this transpiring? Um, obviously, consensus that there's budget to do the process, but, um, you know, consensus that there's timeline that, hey, you know, provided you guys see these steps by this date, uh, this is when we anticipate moving forward, or this is when this business process needs to be fixed or addressed or amended. Uh, and then finally, consensus on milestones, you know, tackling the roadblocks that are coming up each step of the way. I know what I'm good at, and I know what I'm bad at at sales. And I think one thing that I'm bad at is uh, necessarily always, um, you know, following up after the fact or, you know, at the, in a given day. I mean, I'm out in the field all day, so I like to spend a lot of time in my in the meeting, you know, taking notes. But also, if there's a way that I can very quickly engage a resource via instant message or or email while we're sitting there and say, hey, I can I can actually get on this resources calendar next week at three o'clock. Are you free then? Getting those mm -hmm. things done in real time because I think clients a lot of times there's a lot of momentum momentum, right? We have momentum when we get them on the phone. We have momentum when we have a great conversation or a great first date. But I've seen statistics on just how quickly that momentum will wane with every passing day. And I think that's why it's so important that you know, we are following up appropriately as agreed upon. If we're not getting the desired response, we are continuing to stay on it. And to Steve's point, not using things like, hey, I'm just following up or, hey, I'm just doing this or that. It's really, no, I want to make sure I'm supporting you. Um, I want to ascertain if there are any other steps that I need to take or any, what else you need to see at this stage in the game. And if they completely go dark, let them know, hey, I've allotted resources or I'm working on allotting resources to, to this project. 
do I still need to be doing that? Because I think once the client sees that how much skin you have in the game, they will feel compelled to at least answer. And to use another dating analogy, uh, rather than be twisting in the wind or get a, a maybe so, I'd rather have a yes or a no because and let's not waste anybody's time here. I don't want to waste the client's time. I don't want my time to be wasted. We can obviously go about different things, and I'm sure the client can live without me calling them every Friday at five if they don't want to talk to me. So no, I, I agree. That's very good, uh, very good process. Uh, but I think that's the key piece: is is consensus, gaining consensus at each stage is critical. And again, following through and making sure that those next steps benefit both of you. I mean, it's not just always about the buyer. I mean, they we always say that, and they don't. A lot of times they don't really know what they want or know what to do next. It's up to us to suggest what the next steps are. And I think we lose that in the fact that we're supposed to be all buyer centric, which we are, but we're also salespeople. We're also professionals. We're consultants. We are the people they're relying on to get us, get them to the goal line. So we have to instill some of our knowledge as well in suggesting what we think the best next steps are. Right. And that comes up that, falls into kind of the closing category and, and a lot of salespeople get a little uh, funny around that. Um, but I, I found a really great way to get that information or to lead the conversation in that direction is just to say, you know, at this point, uh, most clients like to see uh, a demo of, you know, this particular solution. Is that something that, you know, we should get on the books here? as opposed to being more directive. Because like you said, Mary Lou, like they don't always know what the next step is. It's also, they, it sounds great. It's like, okay, now what do we do? I mean, I can't tell you how many people have, when we've contacted them from a cold conversation, say, Mary Lou, I'm so glad you found me. I would have never known to look for you here. And this is in the land of internet where we have all these tools at our disposal, <laughs> all this research is at our disposal. Right. And we make the assumption that they know what they want. It's not that way. I'm telling you, we do lots of phone calls and we get that kind of like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. This Where is have great. you been? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and that's probably a big challenge going on in the world of sales that we haven't talked about is how noisy the world is today. You know, when I started my career in field sales, it wasn't that noisy. You know, you, you could... Today, there's, you know, with the amount of content that everyone that has a solution has put out, it's very hard to tell you know, what, who does what and what, what do you need and what's the solution? And it's, it's a, it's a challenging environment to be a buyer. Yes. It's so hard. There's so many choices, so many options. They're, they're looking for someone they can trust, someone who makes sense, someone who just demystifies all the various options out there. And that's what we do. That's what we do, especially at top of funnel to get them kind of moving over to our side is to, to really help them make those decisions so they feel good about it. That's what we're there for. Well, and there's a there's a real condition out there that's called decision fatigue, which is simply <laughs> yeah. like you have to make so many decisions on a daily, right. hourly, moment by moment basis. It's like, I don't know, you know, somebody tell me what to do. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel that way sometimes as, as an uh, owning my own company. It's like, somebody come in here and just tell me what to do next. I'm just, you know, I could go so many different ways. Yeah, I mean, my daughter just went through this trying to buy a camera. It was insane. All the different features, all the different ways to use it. And she was researching for days trying to figure it out. It would have been so nice if she could go someplace or someone could contact her saying, look, this is 
this is the options based on what you're telling me your needs are. And that's what we are. We, mm -hmm. we take all that information and we distill it down into something that makes perfect sense for our prospects. Yeah, and as sellers, I think a lot of times we have to realize that there were other sellers that came before us that failed, and we've got to think about what they may have done that did that, you know, that caused them to not be successful in getting that engagement. And you know, to Steve's point, I mean, in essence, you're looking at how can I find a way to uniquely add value and be able to get in and, and gain that trust. Why would they trust me? Um, and it is, it's finding that perfect balance between, um, you know, I could spend countless amounts of time researching a client or an industry before making that initial contact, but I may make a phone call and not even get anybody on the line. So how, how do I find that delicate balance of how much research I do? I'll be frank. I think the best research as a salesperson that you can do is actually just having those conversations because after you've had a few, then you're able to say, hey, you know, folks that I've talked to in this industry typically tell me that mm -hmm. these are the issues that they're grappling with. How are you guys combating that? Um, and they'll either tell you hey, that's a big issue or that's not an issue at all, um, but it's a great way to further the conversation. And that, that also informs some of the questions that we've asked earlier in this panel uh, around figuring out what the right questions are. You know, I think a lot of it is be very adept and, and easily adaptable within each situation. As a salesperson, you're a chameleon. Be able to go in, be very flexible, be conversational, um, because ideally, that's where you're going to strike a chord. Um, it doesn't hurt if you uh, ask your clients to uh, if they want to play golf either, because if you get them in that comfort zone, you're always looking for a way to uh, figure out how the bet, you know, how you're going to really form a relationship rather than just having that one call close, rather than just having that, I'm trying to sell you something. You're really trying to forge a relationship, even when that means that you're giving them an unpopular recommendation or something that doesn't make you a dime or may never make you a dime. I've had clients before that uh, needed a competitor solution. I happen to know somebody at the competitor and I brokered a conversation, but they know that they can go to me for that. They can go to me for anything. Mm -hmm. And I, that's the key piece as a salesperson is making sure that you forged that bond because once you've earned that trust, it's, it's, while it's easy to lose, uh, once you've earned that trust, that's something that clients will take very seriously. Yep. <clears throat> help, help, help. Good. Help, help, help. Yeah. Definitely. It's been very interesting. I've been listening to uh, all four of you. And uh, sorry, uh, Steve, I had to, you know, drop somebody so I could. Uh, Steve in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> you are the weakest link. No. <laughs> I'm surprised it wasn't me. I... <laughs> it's because uh, Steve was, was on my left. He was the first one. But uh, ah. what I'd like to do now, just to wrap up this call, I want to respect your time. Uh, it's been extremely valuable. I'm definitely going to go back to it and listen to it again and again. And I want to create a mind map from it and extract as, as much value from what you guys said. So for now, just to wrap this up, what I'd like to do is just to take you one-on-one -on -one and just ask you maybe one question. What's your call to action? What would you like people to maybe check out if you have a book, uh, for example, Carson or Merlu, uh, if you have you know any services or any uh, you know website you want them to, to check out? So what I do is I'd start with, uh, I would do in the same order that I had the, on the flyer. So Carson, Julie, uh, Stephen, and uh, Mary. Does that work? Okay. okay. Yeah. Carson, what's your call to action? Well, first off, Matt, I want to say thank you to you and to the illustrious panel 
Um, had a blast. It was kind of like the Avengers of selling here. I, I really appreciate the time and, and great topics, great dialogue. Call to action. Um, so I would love to engage with other salespeople, sales leaders. Um, I'm always on LinkedIn and Twitter and uh, just really enjoy to um, to engage with sales folks, figure out what challenges they're grappling with. Um, I've written three books, uh, The Birth of a Salesman series. I'm actually in the midst of writing a fourth, uh, though that is going to take a long time to do with a full-time job and a, a new baby in the house. Um, but uh, really looking forward to uh, engaging salespeople to uh, get topics for this next book. Catch me on LinkedIn and Twitter and uh, would love to chat. So Julie, what is your wrapping words, last words, and call to action? Well, if you're looking for ways to differentiate yourself, stand out in a noisy world when you're presenting or communicating with customers, I have a lot of uh, blog articles that are very much based on that, on how to both tailor your message, how to do a sufficient discovery to get what you need to present it effectively, how to communicate that as impactfully as possible. And you can also read my book, at um, which is... Presenta uh, presentation, presentations for dummies, gosh. Um, and check out my blog at uh, performancesalesandtraining.com. And also, as Carson said, I'm happy to connect with you on LinkedIn and uh, on Twitter and uh, love to hear what, what salespeople's challenges are in that presentation and demo arena today as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being part of this panel. Thank you. It's fun. Let's move on to Steve. Good to be back. Good to be back. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, this has been fantastic. You know, talking with this this group of leaders. Um, I, I read Mary Lou's book literally well, must have been seven years ago or something when it came out, but very influential stuff. I guess if, if people are looking to con connect with me, LinkedIn's a great place to do it. You know, I've got some new training videos that I've put out uh, on on how to specifically learn how to do different aspects of field sales. Uh, you can find that on YouTube on on the Badger Maps page. That's always a fun thing that we that I've done lately. I guess if if my 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 parting comment to people would be know your customer's business, understand what their biggest challenges are, and that that's I, I think that's the key to really communicating with your customers. And of course, if you're a, if you have a field sales team or if you are a field salesperson, then check out uh, check out the Badger Map and see what it can do for you. It's a uh, it's a routing and mapping tool for field salespeople's territories, and that's that's what uh, that's my day job. Thank you so much, Steve. It's been a pleasure to have you. So, Marilu, what is your call to action and your final words? Final words are really. If you do something more than once, if it's a repeatable task, try to get it into a process, especially working the top of funnel prospecting. It really lends itself to a process that you can repeat, be consistent and scale. You can reach me on LinkedIn, Mary Lou Tyler. Uh, you can also go to my website, MaryLouTyler.com. There is a directory called swag. So it's Mary Lou Tyler. MaryLouTyler.com slash swag, S-W-A-G, stands for Stuff We All Get. And there's a lot of training materials in there that accompany both Predictable Revenue and Predictable Prospecting, the two books. So please visit that. If you have any questions, you can reach me on LinkedIn. Thank you. Fantastic. Again, I want to say a big thank you for the four of you. Um, it's been extremely valuable. I'm sure when we uh, share this to a broader audience, People will get a lot of value from it. And I definitely look forward 
to doing more panels. I definitely like the format. I enjoyed it more than the one-on-one -on -one interviews. I think there's more value from having four experts having a really interesting discussion together. I think you fueled it really well and you let it you know, uh, through your questions and comments to each other. So I think that was fantastic. Uh, so my only call to action would be, if you know anyone that's in business, in sales or e-commerce or growth or whatever it is, marketing, and uh, would be potentially interested in joining a really good community of people trying to help each other and learn from each other and network, uh, you know, invite them to join the Business Growth and Geniuses Facebook group. And we have a lot of interviews and videos and content and amazing people in here. So again, thank you, Carson, Julie, uh, Stephen, and Mary Lou. It's been a pleasure, and I will see you guys soon. Have a good day. Cheers.